Wake up, wake up, wake up! You talking to me? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Hi de ho, you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. Happy New Year! This is your boy Ron Dawson coming at you with another edition of your favorite filmmaking podcast that breaks all of the rules, Crossing the 180, part of the Art of the Frame podcast network by Film Tools and Pro Video Coalition. Every other week, I have engaging and informative conversations about culture and craft with artists, entrepreneurs, and filmmakers doing amazing work in the world of film and television. And today we have the pleasure of uh, listening to an interview with someone who I've known for about a half a dozen years or so, Jen McGowan. And this is actually one of the earlier interviews. I think she was like one of the first or second people I interviewed, but I'm just now putting it out. And I think Jen is somebody who just does amazing work, has been able to do a wide variety of work. Uh, a number of years ago, when I first interviewed her, she had done this dramedy starring Juliet Lewis and Sybil Shepherd called Kelly and Cal that made waves at, at South by Southwest that year. Since then, she has recently directed the feature Rust Creek, which uh, premiered uh, number three on Netflix. She has directed episodes of Star Trek Discovery, episodes of The Twilight Zone for Jordan uh, Peele's company, uh, episodes of The Purge for Blumhouse. So she's dipped her toes in both film and television. The Take the Lead Foundation identified Jen as one of the 50 women who will change the world in media and entertainment. She was a finalist for the Clint Eastwood Filmmakers Award and a recipient of the AWD Breakout Award for Excellence in Directing. And she was named one of Vulture Women's Directors in Hollywood You Should Be Hiring. It's just really uh, one of those people who knows the industry inside and out, is an ally for the little person in the industry, and she's just an all-around inspiring person. I think you're going to enjoy this interview with Jen McGowan. See you on the other side. Well, Jen, it's been a while since you and I have actually chatted. I think the last time we talked was for my last podcast, Radio Film School, and I was doing like a women in filmmaking series. Um, I think it was I think it was for my Breaking the Glass series, and you were one of the early people I interviewed for that. So I'm excited to be able to hop on a line with you again. How are you doing? I'm really well. Thank you for having yeah. me again. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, for sure. it's so nice to so nice to see you and yeah. you know talk to people yes. I feel so isolated <laughs> I know I know where are you based uh I'm in Los Angeles you are, yeah you're in LA LA yeah. so mm -hmm. I'm in the I'm in the Ladera Heights kind of near Culver City area oh yeah yeah we're near yeah. we're we're yeah. nearby one another yeah 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 <laughs> well um I want to start off by um asking some of the fun lighter questions first cool and one of the first ones I want to ask you you know uh, I'm always interested in knowing like what gets people inspired like what got them interested in uh, the movie business and like for you for some people sometimes there is a movie they saw and they're like oh I want to do that yeah. but for sometimes it's for some people it's completely different something else yeah I was curious you know, for you what was it that made you say this is what you wanted to do for a living uh accident really really um, you know I yeah yeah I you know I went I 
I grew up in like a middle-class family. Nobody does anything artistic or creative or, you know, <clears throat> no connection to the industry. So I didn't even know there were jobs really that, you know, you watch movies and they exist, but I didn't really know how they got made. Um, and then I went to school for, I went to undergrad for theater. When I got out, I wanted to make my own work. And um, because of that, I, I fell into directing. I made a short film and I was like, oh my God, this is so much better than acting. Like, I love this. So it was really just, I, I happened to find it um, through a series of just always trying to do the thing that I wanted to do. Mm. And, and that's where I ended up. Mm -hmm. Was there something in particular about directing that you liked better than acting? that stood out to you? Like, what was it? I, I love the all-consuming nature of directing. I love that, that the second you start a project, the whole world organizes itself through that lens for you. And you get to stay in that place, you know, for a couple of years. It's, it's really exciting. I love, I love every part of it as well, you know, from, from early stage um, ideas to the script development to casting, editing, like every part of the process I, I love. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I, I have enjoyed about interviewing directors over the years is the difference in the variety and working yeah. styles, right? Like, you know, you have some directors like Soderbergh who do everything, you know, like they're yeah. shooting, they're DP, they're music, they're editing. And then you have some, you know, I think of, you know, like a Spielberg who really focuses just on the directing part. Yeah. And to my to my knowledge, he's never written anything he's directed or um, edited anything he's I directed. And so, know. yeah. Um, what kind of director are you? Like, are you the kind of director who, um, you know, someone like a Fincher who may not necessarily do everything, but he knows everything? Um, are you the kind who likes to know every aspect of the... Uh, the collaboration. I don't I feel, feel like it's necessary. I, I really don't like I, I, and I understand why he does that, but um, I focus on my job and that to me is a big enough job uh, for me at least and a satisfying enough job for me. And I enjoy the collaborations with other departments. You know, I, I make sure that anybody that I'm working with knows their job infinitely better than I ever could. Um, and that's when those partnerships become really exciting. And, and it, look, it's certainly a risk. And, and from a director's standpoint, you know, we're up all a bunch of control freaks. I understand the inclination. And you know, someone like Soderbergh, who is so skilled in those things, you know, probably better than a lot of people he would, he would collaborate with, that makes sense. You know, for me, it's just not what I do. It's not what I ever wanted to do. Um, I, I never really touch the camera. Um, I just, it's not my department. I'm not interested in that. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I also find interesting is how directors and cinematographers collaborate. Yes. You know, again, you can have some directors who maybe they really focus on directing the actors and they leave a lot of the composition and lighting and whatnot to the DP. Some directors want to get their hands involved, whether or not they necessarily touch the camera. Mm -hmm. How do you like to work with your DP? 
Yeah, and I will say, like, I am definitely heavily involved in every department. It's just I'm not the one executing. Right, no, um, for sure. So, so you know, I I like to get very, uh, the, to me, the, 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 the most intense kind of most intimate relationship during shooting is the DP and the director. Um, and so that relationship is, is precious and it's um, an intense collaboration. Um, it's, you know, we're making my movie. So, you know, it's like, for example, when my husband and I work together, our deal is whoever's in charge, you know, you can, you can bring up an issue once, you can bring it up twice, but after the second time, whoever's in charge, it's their decision, you know? And, and that's kind of how I feel with working with um, fellow collaborators on, on my movies. That's not to say that um, ideas that come up aren't amazing, but maybe it's just not for the particular thing we're trying to achieve at that moment. I really like starting out from a place of talking about the themes, talking about how I want things to feel, how I want things to look, um, looking at images, looking at other movies, looking at you know things in the genre and saying, look, this movie does this type of thing well, but I'd like to do this differently in such and such a manner, or this movie did this and I don't wanna do anything like that. Um, and we just, you know, narrow it, narrow it, narrow it as we go. I'm, I'm not the type of person that reads the script and sees it instantly. I really like to noodle on the themes and, and um, come, come to the visuals from the script. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned your husband. Is he uh, creative? You guys work on creative projects together? Yeah, so uh, he is a producer. He does. He has a company called Ample, um, and they do a lot of nonfiction TV series. Um, so they have shows for like History and Discovery. Um, they've got a show for Netflix, um, and they've got a bunch of shows. Um, so we are don't overlap much anymore but in the mm -hmm. beginning we did like for example i cast a movie for him and he shot my first feature um so and that was really born out of you're the person who knows this best that i know <laughs> you know mm -hmm. so right. you're hired yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um we've always been really good at you know respecting the boundaries of of the work environment i one of the things I love about our industry is roles are clear, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like in that military sense. And that kind of is uh, amidst the chaos of making a movie that can be very um, uh, comforting. Right. One of the things that I always find interesting when speaking to uh, couples that work together is their advice for how to work with their significant other. Um, having had that experience in my past, both good and bad, yeah. um, I'm curious to know what your advice is when someone is working with either a spouse or some other significant other, um, on particularly on a creative project. Yeah, um, I, I think you need to be really the, careful. Yeah, It's like, it is a red flag to me when somebody says, oh, this is my producing partner, is my, my spouse or, you know, because first of all, it, it messes with the power dynamic. You know, your relationship with that person changes slightly. And also if, if there is any drama going on between the couple, it bleeds in. And so, I mean, one thing I would say is both Phil and I are pretty drama free. So that's not a thing. Um, and also we are both 
professionals and you know have have built careers on our own so we're not dependent on one another um which i th think is very important um and uh, we're also clear with people we will tell people up front hey just so you know we are married um I don't do his job. He doesn't do my job. Don't come talk to me about him because I don't care. You know, and, and we set up very clear boundaries uh, and expectations for everyone because that can be a, a confusing for the crew. But like I said, we don't, we don't really do that anymore because we're both too busy or too expensive for the other person. <laughs> right, right, right. No, and, and you mentioned something earlier, which I 100% agree with is, you know, if you are working with uh, your spouse, Actually, this is good advice, I think, for any creative partnership, mm -hmm. but particularly with your spouse or significant other, it's determining ahead of time who has the final word. Um, Absolutely. One of my favorite stories to tell, and hopefully I won't be telling it too much in this podcast because I tend to forget <laughs> which stories I've told. I, yeah, but me like, too. <laughs> but it's, it's years ago, and I've written about this, where my wife at the time, she and I were working on a project and it was for a photography studio she owned and we were shooting this film. And since it was her, since it was her studio, I think she was under the impression that she would have the final word on this particular video shoot. But since I was the video guy in the family, I was under the assumption I would. Yeah, but that didn't of, go well. <laughs> one of the, one of the, this is so funny. One of the biggest fights we had yeah. in our marriage was over a drop shadow because I added a drop shadow to the opening title sequence, which she which you know her her she has a very simple aesthetic and she absolutely hated it she said it was corny i thought it was very cool because it kind of tracked with the sun <laughs> in the shot because it looked like the sun was casting it oh my god yeah. literally yeah. i no joke it was one of the biggest fights we had in our marriage and um i can believe it <laughs> yeah and uh and it's over it was over a drop shadow actually i talked about it in my last podcast uh, that i did a few years ago and so yeah and i think if we had determined ahead of time hey you have the final say on the creative look or feel or whatever, yeah. uh, that would have gone a long way towards <laughs> dealing yeah. with it. Yeah, that would help. And, and you know, the other thing is, I think also we are, we both treat everything as like, you know, we're totally separate people. I don't take any yeah. responsibility for anything he does. And right, he doesn't right. take any responsibility for anything I do. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, that's helpful too. Sure. Sure. Um, do you, do you have an early movie memory? I'm curious, like, like your earliest movie memory, like were movies something for you that kind of inspired you when you were younger, before you got into the biz? I mean, like, I remember loving certain movies. Like I mm -hmm. love Goonies, you know, mm -hmm. and I- I still have not I, seen that. That's like one I of my- I loved, oh, I, it's so fun. I mean, me. I assume it's still fun. I yeah. love E.T. and I remember being terrified by The, by the Exorcist. Um, I think when I started, I guess maybe in high school was when, you know, let's see, I was in high school, 19, Wait, oh God, 1990, I think, to 94? No, I have no idea. I think maybe I finished in 1990. Anyway, in 90s-ish. But the point is like indie film at Sundance was, it was great at that time, you know? And I remember kind of discovering all these alternative films that nobody else was watching you know, anything with Parker Posey and it was amazing. Or like, you know, Hal Hartley films and like anything that Christine Vachon touched. Um, that was really exciting. Um, 
but again, I, I just, that was as an audience member, just loving them. Um, not really putting together that I could have anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty embarrassing, but when I went to college, I didn't know who quite a few major filmmakers were. It just wasn't my thing. Um, and, you know, my husband and I talk about this a lot because he's he is he's like a, a more traditional like film nerd, you know, that knows everything about everything. And, you know, we'll talk about like, I'll say, where's that show? And he's like, you know, it's on this network because that's the brand. I'm like, dude, normal people do not know brand networks. Like right, they right. don't care. I, yeah. I promise you. <laughs> and I, I even keep track of this stuff now and I sometimes don't know. Right, so, right. Um, no, I, I really just it. It was as a surprise to me as it was to anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you seek inspiration for your creativity uh, outside of the movie oh, totally. world? Like for a lot of filmmakers, you know, if so, like like where do you get some of your non-movie related inspiration from? I mean, honestly, just the world. It's like, it, it could be a conversation I have with someone on the street. It could be, you know, a news article I read. It could be, um, uh, it's anywhere and everything. Um, and, you know, you know me, I'm pretty politically active. So those are things I get excited about. Um, you know, um, and then I just, from the scripts that I read, you know, from the mm-hmm. scripts that I read, I get excited and I, I, I start making connections as soon as I read something. I'm like, oh, that, that relates to this thing I learned and da 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 You know, that's what I was talking about earlier about like the world assembles itself for you through that lens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, you're mentioning the political thing made me think about this. Um, we now uh, officially have uh, two women best directors. And so I, I kind of feel like we've we've yeah. made it. Do no. you feel like we've made no. it? No, we haven't. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm, I'm joking, <laughs> of course. Um, uh, and how, how far apart are they separated? Like 10 years no, or Lord, 20 years? I think years? it's more than that, actually. Because yeah, it was... Uh, like, Oh, let's see, Catherine uh, Bigelow. Um, oh. One for Hurt Locker, yeah. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think, and that was It feels early more recent than it was. It was 2008. Or, or the mid. Wow. So 13 yeah. years. 13 yeah. years. And so, and so, you know, when you, when you, you know, you know, being a woman in this mm-hmm. industry, I have no doubt that you've seen your fair share of issues that women deal with. Like what... Like, like one, how do you feel about that? And then two, like what kind of practical measures do you think the industry should be making so that we can see more women being mm-hmm. nominated and even hired? Yeah. Not even just nominated. But okay, hired. so there's a lot of questions in there. First, um, regarding the Oscars. Look, I think it's great that Chloe won. I think that's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I also- you talk about Chloe Zhao for those the same. Yeah, yeah. And looking, I also uh, love Nomad that- Man, no, For Nomad yeah, Man, yeah, as a director who's not particularly fancy, I love that she's just like cash. And I was like, yay, my people. <laughs> right, so that right, was right. really nice. Um, but you know, that, that experience of recognizing yourself a little bit is what everybody wants to experience. Um, to be quite honest, I don't, put a lot of stock in the Oscars simply because they don't tend to reflect my taste. Um, I, 
usually read about who won or I, you know, look at the pretty dresses or whatever, but I don't, right. uh, I, <laughs> plus, you know, I'll congratulate my friends who get nominated and it's great. It's, it's a wonderful sure. thing, it, it, you know, if that's happening to you, but it kind of has nothing to do with me at the moment. So I'm mm-hmm. not, not really mm-hmm. bothered about it. Um, but for the other question about, you know, what needs to happen Look, our industry is very trend related. So, and it can only juggle so many crises at a time. So, you know, like like we've seen, people can't hold Black Lives Matter and stop Asian hate at the same time. It's like not possible. <laughs> you gotta choose. Like, right. So I, I don't understand that, but that seems to be the thing that happens. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see if these changes last or not. I, I Look, I will say in the last, you know, uh, five years or so, I think I've seen change that can be lasting. Um, I've, I've seen people notice when a list shows up and there's no women on it. Um, not always. I mean, not always. I get given DP lists all the time that have only dudes on it. And I'm like, uh, let me just send this right back to you. Um, <laughs> um, so the other thing is, you know, our business is so fast moving and everyone is so stretched that you really only deal with what's in front of you at the time. Hmm. So I hope that this stays front and center. I think it's important for our culture. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, look at promising young woman that could not have been made by a guy. It couldn't have been. And, and seeing a movie like that, whether you like it or not, it's important that it's out there. Um, Hmm. And you know, what else are we missing? You know, I think about all the films that we could be missing, all the scientific discoveries that we could be missing just because we're not including everybody's perspectives. Um, Look, I think the only way for it actually to permanently change is quotas and that's never gonna happen. Um, Mm -hmm. The other way that it can happen is if the top of whatever institution it is, whether it be the studio, the network, the production company, if they set goals. You know, that's how Fox Mm -hmm. did it. Their numbers shot up dramatically because the person at the top said, hey, this is a priority for me. And that that works because hello, everybody else works for this guy and wants to do the thing that is a priority for them. So it just needs to be set as a priority. Right. It's not, yeah. it's really not hard. It's 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 really more a matter of will than than anything. Yeah. I mean uh, any I, one, I think, good examples, sort of like what the work Ryan Murphy had done a few years mm-hmm. ago, and just saying, moving forward, my productions are going to have fifty percent women. Yeah. Period. And he did it. Like it's not hard, it's a, right? It, it, it's what it is hard. is it takes a little extra effort, and everybody spent all the time, so they don't want to do it. I get it. Yeah, I really do. Right. Everyone's exhausted. Yeah. They want to go home to their kids. You know, I get it. However, yeah. that is not going to solve this. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. one topic that's sort of like tangentially related to all this is the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and how that has progressed. And I think there's been some huge strides. And, you know, one of the things that I always find interesting about a discussion, whether it's Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter, and this usually, this is like usually an argument that comes from the, from the people who may be part of the more represented group, let's say, whether you're a man, regardless of race, yes, uh-huh. or whether you're a white person is- The dominant paradigm. 
the, the dominant parent. One argument that comes from that dominant um, demographic is um, whenever there's a situation that maybe seems a little extreme, yeah. Um, yeah. they they almost like they throw the body, you know, like the baby out with the bathwater, right? Yes. And so it's like, you know, one example that comes to mind is, um, you know, two people who've been recently in the movie, in the in the business, in the news. You know, Kevin Spacey, who a few years ago was canceled. I kind of think rightfully so for some of the accusations made against him. Yeah. And then someone like, you know, Aziz Ansari, who I wouldn't say he was canceled, but he definitely had some issues in his in his you know in his career because the mm-hmm. they came up with him and and the, yeah, and the he accusations. faced some consequences like R- right, right. have. <laughs> Which is totally cool. And so, so the yeah. question is, you know, you know, for instance, Master or None, his shows come back. He's not in it as much. He's directing it. And it's mm-hmm, actually, mm-hmm. I've heard that this season, I've seen, I've heard this season's gotten a lot of rave reviews for Lena Waithe's performance and it's completely mm, different. Mm. Um, but I guess my question for you is, in you know, those situations where maybe someone has done something where consequences are deserved, but maybe they don't, the, maybe they don't warrant a complete cancel and they get conflated or you know like someone like Aziz Ansari is placed in the same category as a Kevin Spacey or heaven forbid or Harvey Weinstein do you see it do you see I guess like a spectrum of I do see a spectrum but yeah. I will also say everybody is going to have a different opinion on this you know of course uh, yes. And I will say, I don't think Aziz was put into the same basket as Kevin Spacey. Kevin mm-hmm. Spacey has had to go do some shitty movie, mm-hmm. you know, that nobody would see if he weren't right. in it. You know, yeah. it's some, um, no, no offense to European movies, but he's clearly right. not working in Hollywood right yes. now. Yes, yes. That's, that's a different movie. consequence than it's what an Italian movie Aziz has. has right. Yeah, so he probably his buddy hired him and, you know, and, yeah. and he's trying to build back his image and, um Look, I don't think anyone is entitled to a career in Hollywood. Mm. You know, <laughs> you're not. Yeah. Um, and 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 the fact of the matter is, we make culture. Mm. So, do I think rapists should be making culture? No, but hey, that's just my opinion. You know, like. No, yeah, that's an excellent um, point. That's an excellent point. And and you know, Aziz, look, look, I was heartbroken when I I read that. I was like, oh man, come on. I mean, I think something that guys don't get is like we really don't want them to suck. Mm-hmm. We really don't want them. I was crushed when Louis C.K. turned out to be a creep. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. dude, come on. Right, it's right. so funny. Yeah, yeah. That, that sucked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that a lot of times what happens, and it goes back to what you were saying, you know, whoever the dominant demographic is, they get on like hyper alert. Yeah. It's like, look, first of all, especially between women and men, most, the majority of us are genetically programmed to like you. So mm-hmm. there's the wiggle room here, guys. Like it's not, right. it's not like we're all coming out with axes, you know? Um, <laughs> right, right, right. However, keep your fucking hands to yourself, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> be a grown up. Right, right. Be a professional. It's not, it's, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. And when we're looking at an industry where women and people of color and people with disabilities are, underrepresented particularly in that landscape no you don't deserve to have your career back go to the back of the bus yeah you know Mm -hmm. um i like what you said about we're creating culture because it, it it made me think about a thought that i often have is when 
people, maybe people who aren't in the industry, if they either denigrate or they kind of belittle the work that people in the industry do. They say, oh, he only makes movies or she only makes movies. It's not like, you know, you're not like, you know, you're not curing cancer or, or something like that as if the art and craft of creating cinema. Yeah. I'm not, maybe it's not on par with, with curing cancer, but for me personally, I think when you think about the impact that cinema has on our culture, it's pretty significant. And so when I think it's huge. Yeah. I think two things. One is, you know, it wouldn't have been part of us as humans for as long as it has, if it weren't essential. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you why it's essential, but I can Mm -hmm. tell you it is essential. And no, maybe I personally am not solving cancer, but I imagine that oncologists, when he comes home, might like a little laugh. And maybe that helps him do his job better the next day. And that's good. Yeah. Um, But that's not the culture part of it, though. The culture part of it is, look, and I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. If you look back at like all the teen films we had in the 90s, it was like date rape central, you mm-hmm. know? And that was everybody saying, this is okay. It's okay to get a girl drunk and try to have sex Oh my with gosh. Her. That was our culture. That it's, was the language of our cinema. I can- What the hell? When I was growing up, I loved 16 Candles. Loved, loved that film. And now, I mean, that has You're two like, issues. <gasps> Well, now there's two issues with it. One, the whole Long Duck Dong character is just, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a Chinese version of Step and Fetch It. He's so, it's so, um, and then, and then the whole scene with, um, you know, you know, Farmer Ted, the nerd guy, basically, you know, where Jake gives his girlfriend to the nerd to have, like he literally, she's, and he says, you know, I have, what's a nerd in the back? I get, violate her 20 different ways if I want. And Farmer Ted's nice. like, dude, what are you waiting for? And it's played as a laugh. And the yeah. next morning it's insinuated they actually did have sex. And it's like, it's heartbreaking because when you're a kid, like for me growing up, I just remember that was a fun movie. It was a cool soundtrack. Yeah. It was funny. Yeah. Now as an adult- but it goes in. Yeah, as an adult. Uh, I was in. And, and like, also, we don't, we don't recognize, uh, uh, you know, the air that you're breathing. So mm-hmm. at the time, you know, I am sure some particularly advanced progressive people were yelling about it. That was not the common conversation. Oh, no, certainly. not at all. It was, no, th- sure. that was, that was common culture. Thankfully, we've moved on from that. And, you know, I agree with Seth Rogen, which is, no, I'm not going to go back and change my movie. It's important mm-hmm. that we look back and see Mm-hmm. that's what was then, you know, right. was that joke totally off color? Yes, mm-hmm. but it existed. And that says yeah. something about what happened at that moment in time. Yeah. Um, I think movies are very much a snapshot of time mm-hmm. or a snapshot of the culture at that moment. There's a snapshot of the audience or snapshot of the, of the filmmaker at that moment in time. Yeah. 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 All right, I, I want to turn a corner and kind of focus on like your process as a director, as a creator. Mm. Um, uh, and so a, a, a couple of questions. One, like what is your process for when you go into a project, preparing for it and whatnot? Mm. Um, and then two, which we can cover later is, are there any things that you do that help you stay uh, like any daily rituals you have or weekly rituals you have to, to stay in top form, whatever it may be. It may be a health regimen, 
maybe it's meditation yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, so actually answer that one first and then we'll go to the process. That one, yeah, and then we'll go back. Well, I mean, I, I box. I've trained as a boxer for oh, four wow. years now. So mm -hmm. I train at least three times a week. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm shooting, like if I'm actually in the process of shooting, that probably goes down to one or two. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not on anything, that can be as much as five days a week. Um, that's important for me because especially the projects that I do, they tend to be pretty physical. Like the last film that I did, Rust Creek, you know, we were, um, you know, ugh, I can't even remember. What is the word when you use a rope to go down? <laughs> oh, um, like, like going down the side repelling. of a- Repelling. Yeah, repelling. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. you'll have to cut that out. So, yeah. you know, on, on Rust Creek, for example, we, we had to repel down the side of a, of a mountain to get to a location. Um, and they're long days and it's cold. And so the kinds of stuff that I do is a lot of times very physically exhausting. Um, you know, that's not true for all filmmakers. Uh, you can get on multi-camera comedy and that's not the case. Um, but what I get excited by is, is just being pushed to limits. So I try to keep myself healthy, um, you know, relatively. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, me too. And then um, your process, when you go into shooting a film, like what's your process as a director mm. for, for preparing for it and maybe even on the shoot itself? Yeah, so I've really um, kind of solidified my process over the years. Um, first, I kind of just spew any idea, any thought, any image, any anything that comes. It's just kind of like this, this um, process of expansion and contraction of make a mess, clean it up, make a mess, clean it up. And, um, and then I really try to condense everything into the smallest, um, densest bits possible. And I do that on this massive document that I use um, so that everything flows from the script. Everything can be tracked in terms of how I'm changing the visuals, what, you know, that I'm, I'm very much in charge of and in control of whatever elements I'm deciding to choose, to change over the course of the film, whether it be pacing, whether it be color, uh, you know, whether that be uh, camera angles or lens choices, um, all of that is very particular and precise for me. Um, taking that information, I'll work with the DP, you know, to come up with a shot list. And um, I really like to be so prepared that by the time we're shooting, uh, you know, the DP is taking care of that and I'm working with the actors and giving them my full 100% attention because that is the only thing that has to be captured on the day mm -hmm. perfectly is the performances. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're there for is to capture the performances. And I really see shooting as it's a capture process. You are capturing the elements of your movie. You're not making your movie yet. You are capturing elements. You're making a movie in post. Yeah. How do you like to work with your actors in terms of either getting feedback from them or letting them kind of inform some of the direction, maybe even some of the dialogue? Um, do you mm -hmm. stick very, very, are you very dogmatic about the script and stick to it 
uh, tooth and nail? Do you are you loose? Does it depend on the script? Like, how, how do you like to work with well, your? First actors? of all, I prefer the script to be locked before we start shooting. I just think it's easier on everybody. It lets me take my attention to the visuals, to the performances, rather than to the script, which you know uh, takes away. I think. Um, I come from theater, so I'm I'm more reverent to scripts than I think a lot of people are in this town. Um, but I'm not, you know, a hundred percent rigid. So, in terms of how that works with actors, um, it's a funny dance. You know, you, it, actors need directors to be in control. This mm -hmm. is not a democracy. You know, we are collaborative partners, but it's not a democracy. I'm the director. And that means setting clear expectations and intentions and goals and supporting them to do their best work. And that means adapting to whatever the particular actor needs. Some actors like, um, you know, rehearsals, some don't. Some are best on the first take, some are best on the 15th take. Um, I treat everyone like professionals and find out in the beginning, you know, how do you like to work? How can I, you know, let's see if we can accommodate both of our needs in this process. Um, yeah, and then we just go from there. Yeah. One thing I've, one question I always like to ask directors is I have noticed times in movies um, where I've seen an actor who I know is an excellent actor and I'll see their performance in one movie and I'm like, eh. Yeah. And then I see the movie, the performance in all the other movies yeah. and they're like, wow. And knowing that like, like this has happened with, I think like Angela Bassett and maybe, maybe even Meryl Streep of all people. And to me, like the only Delta is the director. It's the and director's fault. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, if, I, if I'm seeing something Angela Bassett's in and the performance seems kind of off for whatever reason, yeah. it's like, I, I, I know she can hold down, so. She brought it and it wasn't picked up. Right, and so how, as a director, do you, when you're working, how do you account for that? How, like, how do you tap into, even when you're working with someone as amazing as that, like, what yeah. is it? I guess the question is, what, what did the director do wrong? Well, 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 they could have done a million things wrong. I mean, there's sure. there's a million ways to do something wrong, you know. Um, <laughs> right, but, right. But, but when it comes you know, to first, like not getting a performance from someone who you know is a consummate, amazing. Well, actor. someone look, someone like that, get out of their way. Let them do their job. They probably know how to do it a hundred times better than you, anyway. Mm, um, mm -hmm. You know, and then you're you're I, look. It could be miscasting if, mm, if you certain. Yeah. Actors do certain things, you know, right. and if you're not within that range and you're expecting them to be completely different, that might be possible, but you better be on the same page about it. Um, you know, and every actor has their tricks and sometimes that's what you want and sometimes it's not what you want, you know. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the director. And I, I, I watch people when I'm casting, I watch everything that I can get my hands on. One of the reasons is to look precisely for that. Are they mm -hmm. consistent? Are they great no matter who they work with? Or are they very director dependent? It doesn't matter to me mm -hmm. because I feel very good with actors, right. but I, it's good to know. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't say what they did wrong, but I will say definitely that in, in that kind of example, it's the director's fault. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
you know, before we started recording this, you were telling me about a project you're currently working on. It sounds, you know, like sort of being like a comic geek. It sounds really cool. Can you tell me a little bit about it? How did how did it come into your purview? How did yeah, you get into it? yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's really cool, actually. So it's a, a sci-fi called 200. And, and it's, it's not, is it, it's not a prequel to 300, right? It's not, it's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but awful. Right, and, uh, but a bunch not. of yeah. those special sound effects and posts. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, it's not, it's, it's uh, based on a graphic novel written by Jennifer Brody and John, drawn by Jules Rivera. And it's uh, set in the future about this woman who, you know, the environment is that everyone lives till at least 200. And then oh. at that time, you know, you get a test that says, are you gonna be able to continue? Because what they found in this, in this world is that around year 200, people's brains start breaking down. Like they mm -hmm. cannot, they just can't process staying alive that long. So they give everybody a test and that determines, you know, whether they get to continue or whether they're euthanized, basically. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so that's the environment. Uh, and there's a love story within that, a really mm -hmm. fun action love story. And it's, it's awesome. You know what that premise sounds like to me? Do you remember mm -hmm. the TV show Logan's Run? I think it started as a yes. movie. Yes, yes, it, yes, it, yes. I mean, so like in that one, that one, that was a little bit different. It was a dystopian future. And it's related. It's related. And it's like, yeah. we, yeah. and then the age was 30. I think it was 30. Like when you got to 30, yeah. you went through this exercise where you had to kill yourself because they thought that you couldn't live outside the bubble that they lived in. And so in order to control the population, everyone goes through this ritualistic, right. um, you know, basically you're executed and, and it's yeah. like in this ritualistic dance. And then Logan, I guess he's like, you know, he's one of the people who goes out and hunts people who try to run away. Right. And then he escapes because he realizes, oh, we really can go outside. Because right. when it hits his 30th birthday, he decides he doesn't want to do it. Um, but that it kind of reminded me of that. It's very, it's very related. Yes, yeah. definitely. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So when you're, so um, I assume something like this is going to have, and maybe I'm assuming wrong, but like, will there be like, visual effects associated with this or is it more? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, this, this, this film is a process. It's going to take some time. It's not one that I'm shooting, you know, this summer. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to take some time. We're really at the very beginning stages of packaging it and adding the producer and bringing on the writer and, you know, it's way early stages, mm -hmm. um, but it is a bigger film. So it's going to take some time. So were, were these, were these like rights that you went out and, and, bought or did someone else bought it and brought you in as director how did that process work uh the writer of the graphic novel brought it to me and i mm -hmm. got really excited about it and then i optioned the material from her oh nice okay so you're in an option process right now where you've optioned it and then so uh when you start to make it is there like another amount that you have to pay in order to get it done can yeah there like a yeah all of, of that will that get kind of sorted and worked out and she'll be the first one to get paid and rightfully so and and um you know that all gets worked out and all the various deals that happen right right and you know so this will be will this be the kind of project where you'll make it and then try to shop it like at a festival or something or are you guys trying no, to find, this would be a bigger yeah this to find would be someone to finance that. ahead of time yeah yeah this will be something that will 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 have distribution attached to it before we start shooting 
Yeah. So as someone of myself, like I'm going through the process of like trying to get an animated TV series made. And, yeah. you know, obviously I don't have the budget and my partners and I don't have the budget to make it first. We have to find somebody. Mm-hmm. So for that project like this, like, like, what do you do to, you know, what's your advice when someone has a project like the one you're describing where, you know, the director's attached, the writer's attached, and they just need to find someone to like, you know, a sugar daddy, if you will, to, to, mm-hmm. to, to fund it. Um, what's your advice for that? How are you guys? Well, it's you really like that? setting up any project, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're looking for relationships of mutual benefit, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you are looking for the person who has what you need and needs what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and sometimes that means showing them what it is that you have in a way mm-hmm. that maybe means doing a sizzle or doing some temp temp uh, artwork or, you know, putting together an outline or whatever that may be um, mm-hmm. to really make it real in people's minds um, mm-hmm. so that they can jump onto a train that's already moving, mm-hmm. you know, rather than nobody likes to start the train. I don't know right. why, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, um, is that, do you have a favorite genre? Is like sci-fi, like uh, your favorite genre? Do you have a favorite genre? I love sci-fi, but yeah. I, I mean, I love sci-fi, thriller, action, drama. Like those are my, mm-hmm. that's really where I kind of live. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I haven't done enough comedy that anyone would ever think of me for comedy. So mm-hmm. that's unlikely. I do always have comedic moments within my drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's that's kind of where I'm living and I'm happy to live in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, how do most of your projects come to you? Um, does it, do agents bring to you? Do you have representation? How does that work? Yeah, so a variety of ways. I have uh, managers and agents uh, mm-hmm. and a lawyer. Uh, so that's usually the way stuff comes to me. Um, and in that way, what happens behind the scenes is, you know, my reps are constantly getting people aware of me, you know, mm-hmm. letting them know, oh, we think that she would be good for you. Check her out, you know, and then if they respond, you have a meeting and you talk about the material and, um, you know, I would say maybe every 10, every 10 or so, one of every 10 goes forward in some degree. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's, you know, there's other things. There's things that I originate. I don't write, but I do develop. So I might option something like in the case of 200, or I might team up with a writer who I know who has a script that I love, or there's a variety of ways, but I will say I am less inclined now to get involved in something, you know, before it has finance attached than I was Mm -hmm. before you know maybe I'll have one thing on my plate that I'm developing that doesn't have the finance yet Mm -hmm. but everything else um it's a job now you know it's not a hobby yeah to work in this business do you pretty much have to have an agent no I don't think so Mm -hmm. I don't think so I think it depends on what route you came up like the director uh of um I think Mandalorian you know he came Mm -hmm. up through uh, Lucas Films. So mm-hmm. what he doesn't need an agent or manager. He just, right. you know, he has all the contacts and he's doing the job that he wants to be doing. So why give 20, 25% away? Right, right. Um, it depends on what kind of job you're doing, what it is you do. I, I think for television, I have found it impossible to access without representation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Sorry, I'm going to just open the door for my dogs. So yeah, no, leave. no, for sure. I'll, I'll have a little ditty. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> He's asking me to go out. Um, okay, so, you know, I, look, the, the good and bad thing about this, bill, this business is there are a million ways to succeed. Mm -hmm. There is no one way. And that's really freeing and also can be kind of scary. Right. You have to just jump into what you believe and, mm -hmm. and use your life to test out your theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, um, especially now with just the advent of what you can do on the internet and YouTube and TikTok and, yeah. oh, it's funny. A lot of TikTokers, they, when, once they get big on TikTok, they end up... <laughs> end up getting into the business well it's uh, funny because some of those some of those people who do social media type stuff they don't actually want to do movies because right. it's a whole bigger pain in the ass there's lots right. more people involved there's maybe not as much freedom um right. it's a whole different thing so i'm not somebody who thinks there's competing media i think it all exists mm -hmm. for different audiences yeah yeah for sure um all right, I want to switch to some of the fun questions like that I like to ask, yeah. but, that, but that kind of give is, give us insight into the artist. Um, what was the last thing that you saw, a movie or a TV show, that surprised you, either good oh, or bad? Yeah, and, I saw. And why? I saw a documentary that I would really recommend. It, it, uh, I think it. I can't remember if it's on Netflix or iTunes. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called Nail Bomber Manhunt. It's a horrific title. Yeah. And, but <laughs> the movie is great. Mm -hmm. um, it's this documentary about a nail bomber in uh, the 90s in England. Mm -hmm. And the filmmaking is incredible. It's so intentional. Every single shot is, you see why they did it, why they put it there. It, it, the sound design, um, all the interstitial like images, it, it's, it's great very very highly recommend how did you find it i'm just you know scrolling around trying to mm -hmm. find something to watch for the evening yeah <laughs> as, uh, as you do <laughs> as you do i actually keep a list like whenever someone tells me something or if i hear something enough it's like okay like because i have adhd like i'll totally forget if i don't put it down uh, if i don't write it down it's gone yeah, yeah 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 um so i definitely need to put it down on a list um and then uh what is your guiltiest movie watching pleasure do you have a guilty pleasure not really because i don't feel guilty about anything <laughs> i watch i mean there are certain yeah. movies i go back to again and again you know when we go through the whole what do you want to watch i don't know what right. do you want to watch what's on i don't we've seen everything you know we, right. we, if we get into that loop for too long we'll just right. go and watch a born again right you know it's like one <laughs> of the borns that's great yeah. Um, or is it, so let me word it this way, you know, something that you like that either maybe other people either make fun of or don't like as much, but for you, it's like the cat's meow. Oh, goodness. Um, something that people, I don't, I, I can't, I don't know why I'm not, nothing is coming to me yeah, at this that's moment. A, no, that's okay. I mean, I kind of watch anything and everything. The only thing I'm not really into is like musicals. <laughs> you don't like musicals? There's really. no musical you like. No, no, that's no, not true. There are musicals I like. Which I one? Just, Can you think I'm of one? I'm not inclined. To, oh, I mean, the ones I saw as a kid, you know, yes, yes. Uh, Sound of Music and West oh, Side sure. Story and 
Little Shop of Horrors, all the yeah. things that are now too problematic to watch for various <laughs> reasons. Um, but uh, no, I just, I, the, the, the pretense of a musical, mm-hmm. I find very grating. The, mm-hmm. the, it's just a little too, requires too much suspension of disbelief on my yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, You know, I found interesting back in my days of learning filmmaking, I was, a movie that surprised me when I saw it um, was Singing in the Rain. Like when I, I remember watching that movie. movie, I mean, it's been a while, so I can't, yeah. I don't even remember all aspects of it. What I do remember is that laughing more than I thought I would laugh and enjoying yeah. more than I thought I would enjoy when yeah. I saw that one, um, when I saw that one, you know, Singing in the Rain. Um, what, what sort of last piece of advice do you like to give to people who are either interested in being a director and doing the kind of things, you know, that you've done? Yeah, I think it's two things. One is you just need to make stuff. Mm-hmm. You need to make stuff. People cannot respond to you until they understand mm-hmm. what you're putting out in the world. You have to put things out in the world mm-hmm. constantly and make what you love. Mm-hmm. Make what you love. Make what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if what, what you makes you see. happy no one watches? What do you do? Well, here's the thing. I don't think that exists. You know, like in the world of the internet, I think one good thing that it has shown us is that no one is alone. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody. Now, maybe you don't spend a hundred million dollars on it. Right, right. (laughs) You know, and and that's, honestly, that's kind of the business in a nutshell Mm -hmm. is pick the right budget for the right movie for the right audience. Yeah, yeah. That's the business. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, this has been a pleasure. Is, is there anything you wanted to say um, or talk about that we didn't get a chance to chance to bring up? We cover a lot of things, bases that, that I wanted, but no. I mean, I, I'm I'm always happy to talk about this because I love what I do, and I know. you know, if if people respond, check me out on Twitter and at I am Jen McGee and watch my movies. Um, hey, you know. Here's a question: You brought up Twitter. Um, yeah. This might be a fun one, real quick. Uh, Especially, you know, we talked about cancel culture earlier. And yeah. As a filmmaker and a creative, do you have any concerns about what you share on Twitter? Do you try to protect what you say to make yeah, sure you don't totally. ever see it? I mean, I think that's wise regardless. Absolutely. And like, honestly, like, it's funny because people think I'm pretty open, but I will never, I will never... Ne- talk negatively about a specific person. Right. I, if, I, I try to share, you know, quote unquote, inside information about the business, but I do it in a way that it can't be traced. I hope it can't Uh be traced back to a specific moment or specific person. That's not fair. Um, You know, uh, but that's just my choice. I don't, you know, like I will never, if there's a movie I hate, that is not something I will put on social media. Mm -hmm. That's something I will talk to my best friend about at the weekend over drinks, Yeah, you know? And and that just has to do with, my boundaries that I'm comfortable with. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, as you work on different projects, some producers will say, you know, you cannot talk about this until X or you can never talk about this. Those are the ones that drive me crazy. But um, right. yeah, because I just, uh, that's annoying. There's one of the questions I thought we asked, you know, I'm keeping an eye on the time because I know where your hard stuff is. So I think I have time to ask you this yeah, is yeah. what is your thought because I'm always keeping track of just how the industry is changing. Like yeah. everybody's buying up everyone as of this recording. Yeah. Um, 
Amazon just announced that it's buying MGM. Mm-hmm. Week before that, AT&T announced that it was selling off it, its Warner division yep. to Discover. Uh, it seems like every week there's a new uh, streamer, there's a new plus, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I always yeah. joke that you know my son's going to have one pretty soon. Uh, with <laughs> all these changes, uh, like what is your one which would take on that? Do you think these changes bode well for the industry? Um, oh. You know, this kind of combines with your question previous about what what would you give advice? You just need to adapt constantly. Mm-hmm. You need to be resilient and adaptive. Yeah. Um, so that every change, you can turn it into an opportunity somehow. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what change is inevitable. I don't know where it's going to go. I suspect right. it's going to have to contract somehow because they're not making money yeah. um, and they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they've, they've, they've set this ridiculous thing for themselves where they have to create certain amount of content at a certain pace. And uh, they're all aiming for that same goal. And there's only so much uh, content out there. So... Um, it's a really good time to be a creator because a lot of people are buying and hiring and that's exciting. Um, a lot of it is junk, you know, (laughs) so you have to be careful with that too. Um, and not just say yes to any old thing that comes up. So, you know, right now it's, I think we're at the period of expansion that's about to turn into a contraction, but I thought that in the last year too, and it didn't happen. So it's really just, you know, pay attention and adapt. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not in charge of it. I don't make the rules. I'm just trying to win by them. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I like that. I like that. I think that's a good way to go. Uh, Jim McGowan, thank you so much for taking this time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was fun. It's always fun talking to you. It was really fun. Thank you. All right. Huge thanks to Jen for uh, taking the time to speak with me for this episode. Uh, you can find all the links to her stuff on the show notes um, or on the blog posts at ProVideoCoalition.com. Crossing the 180 is a production of Blade Runner Media, and it's part of Pro Video Coalition's Art of the Frame podcast series. This episode was produced, written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, Ron Dawson. You can follow me on Twitter at Blade Runner, that's Runner with an O, and you can follow me on the gram, that'd be Instagram for you older people, uh, at Blurred Runner. And you can follow Pro Video Coalition on Twitter at twitter.com slash pro video. That's it for now. Until next time, remember if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. <laughs>